0: When it comes to independent wrestling and the deathmatch scene, one company is on the rise, and that is Ruthless Pro Wrestling. Featuring today's hottest talent, like Justin Kyle, Dale Patricks, The Rejects, Mickey Knuckles, Hoodfoot Mo Atlas, and more. Check out all of our events on IWTV. Find all of our social media and our RPW merch now at RuthlessPro.com. What up everyone and thanks for tuning into this week's instalment of Faces and Feels. I'm your host Rafe Houston and today I just wanted to give this one a quick little intro. Not something I normally do, normally I'm just about the interviews and jump straight into it. But things have been pretty busy lately man and I've had like some crazy things going on and I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you. Uh, Thank you for everybody who's had patience with me, Um, I... Haven't been able to get some interviews out as quick as I'd like. Um, Those of you that heard me speak about it briefly on the I Got Your Five Stars podcast with Jeremy and Sean, I mentioned that my beautiful wife, Amy, had been sick. Um, We're still dealing with that a little bit. It's all in hand, but it has led to me not getting interviews out as quick as I'd like. So I just want to say thank you for everybody's patience particularly the wrestlers who have been interviewed. There's been a few of these that have been in the can for a few weeks. Um, And though I've still managed to get, you know, a little bit of stuff out, not nearly as fast as I would like. So I want to say thank you to everybody for their patience. It's been really appreciated. And one of those people is the guest today. Randy West is not only the mother of all mothers in this mother, is not only the toughest brought in the business, but she's also the most patient brought in the business because when i recorded this interview with Randy every single piece of my podcast setup went to shit like i can't even stress how much stuff went wrong uh we even lost the the end of the interview it cut out just as we were finishing up uh not wanting to waste any more of Randy's time um i got everything sorted and situated found everything but there isn't just like a final little sign off. So when it gets to the end of this interview, what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump back in and then I'll tell you the story of how every single piece of my podcasting equipment shut down on me all at once and betrayed me after 17 months of loyal service. Everything went wrong at the same time, all for different reasons. That may not be a story for everybody though. Maybe people don't care about podcasting equipment, but if you do, I'll throw it at the end as a little nugget. If not, once you see Randy drop off, then no need to hang around. Thank you, everybody, for your time. And I'm going to jump into the interview right now. What it is, what's up? And welcome, everyone, to Faces and Feels. I'm your host, Rafe Houston. And today, I am joined by a very special guest. She's the 2021 goddess of gore and the toughest broad in the business. It is the one and only Randy West. How are we today, my friend?
1: Hello,
2: hello, I'm here, it's me.
0: Exactly, you've made it. Pulling back the fourth wall, I had quite a few system issues, but luckily, Randy is not only the toughest broad in the business, she's also the most patient. So I really appreciate that.
2: I can't even argue that. There's been plenty of people that said I'm very patient. <laughs> patiently wait to whoop your ass. That's all. <laughs>
0: exactly right. Exactly right. So let's jump. You know, we don't want to waste any more of your time if I could help it. Um, whenever I start these shows, I usually like to rewind all the back, to, all the way back to the beginning, and just ask, "What were some of the first faces that stood out to you in professional wrestling?" So when you think all the way back. Who who was jumping out to you that was making you a fan and and making you really pay attention?
2: Uh, I was I, I was a huge Reggie Bennett fan, like and like the, you know like that was it's like tape trading times and stuff like that. And, um, she she did a lot of uh, work for. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what the God, I can't think of it, but she was in Japan. Mm-hmm. She actually retired in '99 uh, when I graduated from high school. So, <laughs> uh, but she, she was always that, that broad that was like, she was bigger than most of the girls, but she didn't give a shit, you know? And like, she just beat people's ass and she had a smile on her face and she was so nice mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And, and like, even in her interviews, like when she was telling people she was going to kick her ass, she was nice about it. And she was dressed like a construction worker. Like it was awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, her and then like, um, Malaya Hosaka, uh, she was, she was a big influence too. And like, I actually, I got to meet her later on down the road and, and become friends with her. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, let me see, um, Wilani Kai, Lonnie Kai, she was a big one too. And, and her and, and Reggie actually, they, they wrestled a lot, uh, in and tag action with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got to see the, the two, the two I liked the most wrestling each other, which was a lot of fun. Cause. Well, she was real creative mm-hmm. in her heel work
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and and getting away and being sneaky and stuff like that, and and uh, it it just intrigued me. So like those those are the the two main ones I, I think so. And then like Macho Man, you know to to come out with the the mainstreams, like he was always my favorite. Like I was never a Hulk Hogan person. I was always like Macho Man's dope, you know.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. He had that voice, and he had that that personality and that energy. It was just like ugh.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Kind weird. Uh, I always wonder with that kind of stuff, like uh, whether it is you know the the main stars, you know the the WWF and that that grabs people. But it sounded it sounds like th- though that caught your attention. It wasn't until that you saw those female wrestlers and stuff that that you really started to get invested with it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because like I'd watch it with my grandma, and like I tell everybody, like my grandma had this huge crush on Lex Luger like she just thought he was so hot and like anything he did she's like oh my god and like I'd watch it with her and like you know I got into it through that but like as I started exploring you know the the different facets of it um I I ended up finding Reggie and I found Milani and and later in the Malaya and, and and even um what was her name back then but uh, Alondra Blaze
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, when, you know, like her, like even, even back then she was, and like, they were just these women that like defied the odds almost, you know, at yep. that time, because the, this business, a man's business, let's face it, you know, yeah. like it always has been. Mm-hmm. And it, with it's slowly working towards not being anymore, but back then complete man, completely run by men, you know? Yeah. So to, to be able to put yourself out there and kind of like, Create your own narrative mm-hmm. as you went along mm-hmm. behind behind their 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 rules, you know. Yeah, like it was it was just one of those fascinating things to me as a as a girl growing up.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. In a man world, mm-hmm. it um, yeah, it, it must have been something a, a little bit crazy and almost seemed a bit far away until you see though those women. You know what I mean? Because they're not. You know, you're not seeing a lot of women represented on the main products and, and stuff mm-hmm. on TV. So, so yeah, I imagine a pretty eye-opening kind of experience. At which point do you then think about maybe looking at, at transitioning or training? How do you even find your way to that? Because I, <laughs> I imagine that's hard for men to achieve, let alone for, for a woman.
2: Oh, As as growing up and watching wrestling, I had no idea that there was independent circuits like I, I thought it was just like Japan and WWE and WCW yeah you know and then they had these women's promotions that was like wow and and and, and glow and you know like mm-hmm. so when I I had I had met um I had met somebody uh in when was it of had to be 2000 2000 I met my my ex and he introduced me to uh, independent wrestling. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it exists. Mm-hmm. I went to my first independent show. It was run by uh, <laughs> Gene Miller. Uh, he went by Mean Gene Austin. <laughs> and uh, as you you probably can guess from the name, you know, he, he did a, a Stone Cold gimmick and it was awesome and I loved it. And uh, I, I still talk to Gene to this day and I still, you know, I work for him now down in Mississippi and stuff like that. So, um, It was a really weird introduction, but at the same time, it was fantastic because I was like, holy shit, this exists outside of my TV.
1: Yeah,
2: You know, like this is actually a feasible thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I later I got introduced um, to Briar Wellington Mm -hmm. and then to Truth Martini and Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. And and then, you know, the whole TNA 2003 roster list of names begins. You know, because like I knew all of them before that I was there at the beginning of TNA, you know, mm-hmm. with all of them. So uh, through my ex, <laughs> I was introduced to my trainer, which is Truth Martini, mm-hmm. and I was his first female, first female graduate. Right. Okay,
0: that's interesting. A lot of people speak very highly of Truth Martini as a trainer, right? Like I've had quite a few people on that that reference him as being being somebody that's quite special.
2: Yeah, he uh, he he did not treat me any different than the two 320 pound dudes that were training with me that did not finish the class. That didn't, you know, they like they tried. Yeah. Man, did they try? But it was just like, but like I w- I would be in there sometimes. Like we'd have a trash can next to the ring where like, you know, you go and you you do your your job and fucking if you throw up, you better go throw up in the trash can and then get back in line, mm-hmm. and continue duck walking. or can you know like. So he didn't, he never, ever treated me like any different mm-hmm. than the other men. And that, like, I appreciated that. And it helped me as I went through this ridiculous business of ours mm-hmm. um, to survive, I think, yes. because I, I, I was already treated like a man. So, like, if you're going to act like an asshole, I'm going to be an asshole right back to you. You know, if you're going to be cool, I'll be cool. Mm-hmm. And it helped me with a lot of, um, a lot of the, the bullshit. I'll say that because I don't want to get like, I don't like to delve into the past because the past is the past, but the bullshit that I had to deal with as a woman in the business Mm -hmm. coming up in from 2002 until now. So as you know, 2002 was a very, those years are very, uh, um, riddled with, um, bad things
0: with women. I can only uh, imagine like the, the bullshit that used to go on. You know what I mean? I, I've heard horror stories and things like that. And, you know, the wrestling business can be a carny place at best, especially, uh, back in those days. I like to think, and, or at least I hope, uh, that it, that it's better now, but but man, like, <laughs> like it would have been a, it, a journey.
2: It's one of those things. And like, I'm guilty of it because I was there and I said it, but it was like, you know, like, why did you let this and this happen? It's like, well, that's part of the business. Yeah, you know that's just how it is yeah and like at the time that's that's just how it was (laughs) like there was no like there was no um no speak out no none of this nonsense because there was no internet yeah what happened to you happened to you and no one else fucking knew about it you know like Uh, in order to find a wrestling show you had to call a fucking hotline (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: like
2: 800 number like all right where's the shows coming from or or see a flyer at a gas station or you know like there was no like going on, on to your AOL or your, even then when AOL, oh Lord, when AOL first started, yeah. you couldn't even wait till the dial up to, to look for a show because they just it wasn't there yet. So like it being able to tell somebody like, oh you know this this guy sexually assaulted me, yeah. you would you would lose your spot in the business. Yeah. You'd be done. Yeah. You know the minute you pointed a finger, you were out. It's horrible. So a lot of women back then and like. Uh, it, me, myself included, like it, we just didn't say anything yeah. because we didn't, we didn't want to lose our spot, you know, like, and it's a sad, sad thing. It is. But now seeing the women now mm-hmm. who are like, what's up, bitch? <laughs> you ain't going to do that to me. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, like, you, get, you get checked. I like, love it. I yeah. love it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm very excited where it's, where it's started from to where it is now.
0: Absolutely. I love the, like, the the internet has brought like a lot of positives and negatives into the world but one of the positives that it is brought is that you know giving people a voice and and letting things stop you know this you talk about the speak out movement it cleared a lot of bullshit out of professional wrestling and i'm sure
2: it brought a lot of bullshit to it too yeah but it did clear a lot out you know yeah. and and like it, it, there's always the positives and the negatives the yin and sure. the yang of, of every situation you know so Like if it out, if the, the removing the bad shit outweighs the, 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 you know, like that's, that's what, that's, that's what makes it count, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all case by case basis and all those crazy things, you know, it's not this sweeping perfect thing, but at least now if there's something, you know, going on, at least people can maybe feel, I I like to hope that maybe people can feel safe that they're not going to, you know, lose everything for telling the truth. You know, I hope Mm -hmm. that's the case anyway you know? Um, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah.
2: And then, like, and it, it, it's, it's refreshing, but at the same time it's really scary. Yeah. You know, cause like, mm-hmm. man, I, we could sit and talk for days about the 19 years of, of stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. I can only but imagine. But what's the point, you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. but because of, because of what I went through, through that 19 years, whether it was good or bad, mm-hmm. uh, I'm who I am now.
1: Yeah. And it
2: made, it created the, the, the person and the character yeah. that I am, you know, like I'm a survivor. Yep. In, in life, in the ring, everything. So, like, if, had I not had those those moments and those those shitty situations, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be Randy West. I wouldn't be the toughest broad, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly Definitely right. Definitely wouldn't be Death matching. Yeah, well, yeah. It also, it also speaks, I think, as well for your love for the business and love for professional wrestling, you know? You don't go through that kind of journey without being very invested in it. You know what I mean? You could have walked away at any point, but obviously you had a goal in mind and you love professional wrestling.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there was plenty of times too. And like, it, it, it still riddles me every once in a while where it's like, man, I could just walk away and just be done and not have to, not have to worry about this bullshit anymore. Just go uh-huh. and get a normal, normal, uh, what was I going to school for physical therapist job Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just live my life and be Randy, you know? And like, but there's always this, fuck them, yeah. little voice yeah. in the back of my <laughs> yeah, head that yeah. says, they don't get to tell you how to run your life, mm-hmm. you know? like, And I've always been that way. Like Even when I was younger with my, my family, like, don't tell me I can't do something because I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And, I, it, and, and that's, that's what I continue to do. Like, you tell me I'm a bad wrestler, all right, I'll get better. Mm-hmm. You tell me I can't deathmatch, well, screw you. I'm going to go out there and deathmatch, and I'm going to do it better than you. Yep. Like, there, it's just, it's always been, I've always not even had to, uh, like, been forced to by anybody. It's in my own head. I've always had to prove myself Yeah. when I didn't have to. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, it, it, it's a drive that, you know, has obviously moved you to get you to where you are. And not a lot of people can, can do that without that gear, you know, that like <laughs> can turn on that fuck you gear wow. and, and overcome that. You know, most people give up.
2: And there's been so many times in my life that I've had to turn it on. Like, uh, I I lived in a van. I lived in my van with my two year old son and I said, you know, fuck you. I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to survive and I'm going to get my own place. And I did. And I, you know, and, and it it just made me stronger. And just like with wrestling, you know, like I I had my neck injury and I was like, this doctor's not going to tell me that I'm not going to wrestle again. I'm going to show her that I am. And I like went through all that bullshit and got cleared.
1: Wow.
0: like
2: don't tell me something and, and cuz i will prove you wrong <laughs> <laughs>
0: well that that's amazing that's that's a survivor's mentality you know like it's it's really impressive did you always that, like so you talk about the deathmatch stuff obviously that's become a very big part of you and it, it's not for everybody so like is that something that you had always wanted to do was that something people had told you you can't do and so you through and did it how did how did you come to get to to that place
2: oh absolutely did not want to at all when i first started
1: (laughs)
0: yeah oh
2: man i was like you guys are crazy because i was going to these shows in detroit um Mm -hmm. uh, iwr shows it was independent wrestling revolution and you had um uh, homeless jimmy Mm -hmm. versus necro butcher who's carrying a pig's head out to the ring yeah and they're just carving the shit out of each other with all these crazy ass weapons i'm like no thank you. Yeah. You're out your mind. I'm a, I'm a wrestler. Like I'm I do flippity doo and tell stories and stuff and like do cool moves. <laughs> like cause yeah, yeah. at the time I'm young and I was doing cool moves. I was trained, you know, my sparring partner was Alex Shelley. So like wow. you know, I'm doing doing the shit that he was doing because <laughs> I was twenty years old and perky and ready to go and yeah. Yeah. And then and, and, uh, and like I'm watching them I'm like you're out of your minds. And then, like 2006, I had I think it was 2006, might have been five. Uh, Ian Rotten hit me up, mm-hmm. and he asked me if I wanted to be part of Queen of the Deathmatch. Yep. Uh, in 2006, and I was like, nope, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't deathmatch. Like, yeah. I, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wrestle, and like, cause I, I, when I when we were training and when I was coming through the business, like, it was such a dirty thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like. The redheaded stepchild of, of pro wrestling was deathmatch wrestling. You know, like you didn't, you didn't want to be associated with deathmatch wrestling. That means you, you know, you can't wrestle.
1: Yeah.
2: Like, uh, yeah. so like it was always, and then God, it had to be, I think, maybe 2008. It could have been a little bit 2007 ish, maybe, but I was doing, I was working at IWR. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing a show at a bar and I was drunk. This is before uh, I got sober. And uh, I was lined up. I had a a referee held for to take a chair shot and me being drunk and him being stupid. I said, duck. And he did. And I took a chair shot to the head and it busted me hard way, wide open. I had to get 10 stitches. My head swelled up. And I loved it. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. So. I started doing little small small matches with just like thumbtacks or like small little things like that, you know, barbed wire here or there. Mm-hmm. And then uh I did one that had I did one that had some light tubes in it, but it wasn't like anything major. It was just like, you know, we did a spot with a weapon. It wasn't an actual death match.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh I started, I can't remember when the first one actually was. It was just like 2012 or 13. I had a um no rope, barbed wire deathmatch. Mm-hmm. It was, was coin deathmatch, and yeah. and I loved it, man. I was bleeding all over the place, and I was so my adrenaline was going, and I was so hyped, and I felt great, you know. And and then like the next day, I felt like dog shit because of everything, <laughs> but yeah, yeah,
1: no doubt. <laughs> like
2: I was like, yes, I want more. Mm-hmm. So then in 2014, Ian Rotten called me again, mm-hmm. and said, "Do you want to do Queen of the Deathmatch?" And I said, "Yes, I do." Mm-hmm. And that was the year I won. Yeah. And then it's all been crazy from there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that the gates were open and it was full speed ahead at that point.
2: Oh, I absolutely, absolutely. Haven't like, and I took a break cause my neck, my neck injury again, I took a break from death matches cause I didn't trust myself mm-hmm. uh, to do some of the, the stuff, you know, like take, take some light tube shots. Like it's, it's a lot of, they break, but it's still a lot of pressure on yeah. your neck and stuff, yeah, and you know? So uh, I went to just regular wrestling, and, and Schwartzy, he carried me through 18 months yeah. of not being able to actually wrestle even at 50%. Like, I was clearly, like, good 30 40%. Yeah. I'd come in, I'd do my saito, I'd meet somebody in the face, take all the credit for the match, and then cry on the way home because uh-huh. I was in so much pain.
1: Yeah.
2: And, yeah. and he's literally wrestling a whole 10-minute tag match against two people yeah. to make it look like I can still actually do what I was doing because of my neck injury. Yeah, wow. So it was, it was, it was rough. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> once I got cleared, I did probably about seven, seven matches. And then I was like, all right, death match time. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm yeah. back.
0: Ready to and jump back that. into it.
2: Yeah. Hard, hardcore death matching ever since really.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and it's been a golden age of deathmatch recently. Like it's been such oh, a big fantastic. change in the mindset and everything. And there you are with all the experience ready to go. It must've felt good when you would, you would have felt like the rumblings and like the change in people's perception. Right. Cause I know in my, in my mind, the, the lockdown and stuff like deathmatch carried wrestling through like COVID, you know what I mean? Through the start oh, of yeah, it, like yeah. it kept going and, you just seen, you know, companies like uh, ICW, No Holds Barred, and GCW, and Ruthless, and stuff start to pick up and more and more open and do cool things. You must have felt like I'm, I'm poised to do something awesome here. In, you know, it's like the rest of the world has caught on to what I already know and love.
2: Yeah, and like when I when I came back to like it just, it was like mid COVID, like right at the the point of opening. Uh, I had talked to Chris from RPW, and I said, man, uh, you know I deathmatch, right? And he was like, yeah, but I thought you didn't want to do that anymore because of the neck. And I said, but you know I deathmatch, right? <laughs> and he was like, all right, I heard I heard that.
1: Okay? <laughs> and
2: then the next show, it was Chuck Stein, you know? Yeah. And then the next show, it was uh, uh, who in Lane. And then the next show, like, so it's been uh, Mickey, me and Mickey. Uh, we did 200 light tubes. Yes at RPW, and it it's was crazy. a 32 minute long death match you know yeah. like it was insane mm-hmm. we had no idea that it was that we, we were outside before we even touched a, a light tube it was 13 minutes mm-hmm. we had wrestled outside for 13 minutes before we even touched one light tube mm-hmm. and and a 32 minute match i know right? you
0: guys were fighting on a pt cruiser it was wild
2: Yes, yes <laughs> yes and we made sure because we've gotten in trouble in the past for yeah. fucking up cars yeah. in the parking lot we asked permission, and we made sure it was on video. Him saying, yes, you yes, can fuck spot. up my car.
1: Yeah.
2: so that We had proof this time so we didn't get in trouble because we, we bust out a windshield a few years back. Oh, um, no. I think she gave me, I think it was a, a superlax or a power bomb or something onto a car, and it, it we thought it was like a junk car. Yeah. But apparently the windshield was the only thing that was good on it. <laughs> Oh, and they had no. sold that, like so we had to replace, we had to pay for the windshield that they had. You know, it was a hole to do. Oh my god, <laughs> it was a hole to do.
0: Yeah, you guys in that match—that was one of the the first ruthless matches I saw. I I actually spoke to Mickey on here; she was on the show a little while ago and was telling me about it. And I immediately after the interview went and watched it, and I loved it, man. It was such a a cool match. And like you say, it's not a short match; it goes for a while. You guys are everywhere. But, but when I say that you guys went through every light tube in the place, that's not an exaggeration. It was crazy.
2: They gave us two hundred, and we went through uh one hundred and eighty-nine of them.
0: Oh my god!
2: There was yes, there was only eleven left. And then like it was funny because like we hadn't had the opportunity where someone actually booked Randy West versus Mickey Knuckles in a death match. Yeah, like we've had like strap matches. We've had you know the bullshit wrestle each other nonsense but we've never so we were so excited Mm -hmm. individually we are both excited to beat the dog shit out of each other like all good friends yes we're gonna have so much fun because we're friends and like we know we i know that i can hit you in the face Mm -hmm. and, and after we're gonna you're gonna go drink a beer and i'm gonna smoke a joint and we're gonna love it yeah you know it's gonna be awesome uh, so like we were super excited about it, and like I, I honestly I think that that match came off so well because our chemistry, you know, behind the scenes, and then also like the fact that we were so excited about about giving putting on this show and entertaining the crowd, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it came out in it, and like it's one of my favorite matches uh, of the this past year, definitely. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Do you go back a long way with Mickey?
2: Uh, yeah, it, it's. We met, um, yeah. We it was probably beginning of our careers because she was two thousand three or two thousand yeah two thousand three. I was two thousand two. So like, we met probably around five or six maybe. Wow. So like we've we've known each other quite some time. And people like to like parallel our uh, our careers, you know. And like it, it, we just did our own thing. And we all like her and I. We had the same philosophy basically. It was like. Make women's wrestling not a fucking joke. Yeah. You know, like we're not gonna put on uh, our fucking bikinis and go wrestling gravy. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the dog shit out of this dude. And like Lufisto, you know, she was she was already there, like paving the way for for Mickey and for me. You know, like she was already there, like putting in the time with the working with the men and saying fuck you to and like fighting her her country. Yeah. To get women to be able to wrestle, you know. Yeah. So like, it was it. I've known her quite some time, and, and everybody, like I said, they try to. Pay, and it, it, they even try to to pair us against each other. Mm-hmm. Like there was a point in time where we would see each other, and like, what I say about you this time.
1: Yeah. You know, well, it was like yeah, what horrible.
2: what they what they say you said what they say I said. Mm. Ah, let's give them a show, you know, and like we. We would fucking do little things just to, to egg people on. Like, it, it, we we've it's she's one of one of my besties, her for sure, and like Thunder Kitty, one of my best friends in the whole world.
0: Yeah, it and might, you know, I mean, it must have felt you know. like it was you guys against the world in a sense. You know what I mean? At,
2: for a while at the beginning, yeah, because it's like like I, I'd watch her like go and have this awesome match, and it's like yeah, show them, you know, and like and I would hope that she felt the same way. I'm sure, I'm I'm sure she did, but like, it was, it's just one of those, like, when, when you see somebody that's so on point with what you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, it makes you feel okay about what you're, the fight you're putting out, you know, yeah. like you don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. And then that, that helped me, that helped a lot too, was watching her and Lufisto fight the same battle I was fighting, even if it was from a distance, you know, mm-hmm. I could see them fighting the same, the same battle just to be seen as a wrestler. Not a woman's wrestler, a wrestler.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's
2: working, you know. So far, mm-hmm. so far, it took this long, but we're all seen as wrestlers. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and I mean, th- these last couple of years, intergender stuff has become, along with deathmatch, more and more mainstream. You know, like I I have probably seen you wrestle more men than I have women, you know, mm-hmm. since since I've been a fan, um, which immediately. Uh, now that I hear your history of net problems makes me even more stressed about when you uh, wrestled Remington Raw at no peace underground
1: because no. anyway,
0: yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a terrifying um move to take, I guess we would say, or, or for uh, you, uh, yeah, for exactly <laughs> like, well, to even see, I thought you nearly died. And then now I hear this story of this neck, I'm extra stressed learning about it. Were you okay?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, with, with Rem. Um, So we had, we had talked about everything, you know, like we knew what we were getting into Deathmatch. We're going to have a blast. There's going to be light tubes and there's a door and there's, you know, we'll figure it out. And like he hooked me for that slam and it's just one of those freak situations where sweat and uh, light to powder and blood and everything and, and he got stuck.
1: Yeah. So.
2: He got stuck and I got stuck and like there's just no like everybody tried to crucify him and say that he did it on purpose and he's unsafe, but it it, it was not. He actually he he really did when he felt it going wrong, he tried to protect me yeah. the best he could. And 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 he did. Yeah. And had, I'd probably have a broken orbital bone had he not done what he did mid move to yeah. to protect me. So, I will always. I I told him that night. I said I'll always always go to bat for you. Any any promoter that says that you're unsafe and he won't book you because of that, you tell him to call me and I'll let him know. Yeah. Like straight up. Like Rem is one of the safest people, uh, I've ever worked with. And, and the fact that he would take cactuses. As. As willingly as he did, <laughs> God bless him.
0: He he probably felt like he owed you one, I reckon. But uh, yeah, your <laughs> go, your guys' little rivalry that spun out of that um, has been awesome. I walked in,
2: I said, "I'm throwing one of those cactuses at your face," and he's,
0: and he's like, oh, he's "All like, right, okay, <laughs> okay, <I said. laughs> like, okay." Yeah, he's a uh, he's a great person. He's also been on this show before. I get along uh, very well with him, and that match that you guys had at boiling point was. Awesome. Yo, let me stop you right there. I just need to holler at everybody and tell them about NordVPN. This service has been a bit of a game changer for me, man. Not only are they one of the first services, you know, to believe in me and to believe in this podcast, which is pretty amazing, but it's also been great to like pick up my internet access and throw it around the world. I've been able to access all the streaming services. I've been able to check out different shopping sites keeping me safe and sound on the internet and protecting all of my important data. It's been pretty damn awesome. So if you want to give it a chance for yourself, if you want to try it out, if you want to get amongst the glory that is NordVPN, just go to nordvpn.com slash feels and use the code feels to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan and at one additional month for free. Uh, It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee which is pretty sweet. So, yeah, nordvpn.com slash feels and use the code feels. Now let's get back to the interview. It must be nice to, like, begin into those spots and doing those kind of bigger profile singles matches where you guys are standing and actually able to show what you can do. I mean, it's the stuff you've been fighting for your entire career.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, it, it, like it's always nice when you can go in there and, and showcase what you can do with somebody that you like, that you, that you mesh well with, that you get along with, you know, Um, like there's some people where like, and it's in, in any profession that you have, any sport, there's some people that you just don't get along with. Like you get along with them because you know, you're professional, but you don't, you don't mesh well. Your energies aren't the same and stuff. So like those matches are a little bit more difficult to get through, I think. But like when you're in there with someone like, like, I love Remington. I think he's fantastic. What a great person he is. Um, so like when I walk in there with him, he has such this, such huge energy about him mm-hmm. that it almost engulfs you to where like your energy becomes the same as his, you yeah. know? So, mm-hmm. uh, and Mickey's the same way. Mm-hmm. She's, her energy is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it literally is crazy. Like you, you get into the, the energy circle with Mickey and it's like, I just want to do some crazy shit. Yeah. Like, it's going to be so much fun. Let's do this. You know? So like it. it I, I guess you'd call me like an energy vampire because like, <laughs> I, like <laughs> I like to suck the energy out of my opponents, you know, like uh, as, like. as we're working together, I'm like, Oh yeah, your energy. Yeah, it yeah. gets me, it gets me fueled. So, like, <laughs> But like, like, it's just, I think it, once you have that kind of connection with someone, yeah, you can't have a bad match. Yeah. I
1: don't
0: think yeah. it, w- it works the same for me, like with these interview processes and stuff like that. Like since I've been doing the podcast, there's certain people you speak to and you just vibe with them straight away. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh, this is going to be a great conversation because yeah. we have similar energy. And I think I may be a little bit of an energy vampire as well because I, I feed off it, you know, I, I enjoy it. Um, I never started this intending to do interviews and it just, it each keeps rolling into the next and, I always, you know, sometimes maybe before I do the interviews, I'm like, oh, do I want to do this and what am I going to say and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm in it and I'm like, this is great. I'm so glad I did it, you know, again and push yeah, myself into yeah. it. So it's probably the same for you, you know, where it's just like, and it's like connections. A lot of
2: interviews are always like the like, typical same, like, you know, how'd you start, you know, da, da, da like, it, It's like a, a random row of questions. And yeah. like, I love when you can just like combo
0: Yeah.
1: You know, Vamp,
0: like, exactly.
2: Com- right. have a conversation. with me. I'm a real person.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> like so many people that could write so many better questions than me. All I can do is just sort of be a good dude and have a talk and like learn about somebody. And that's, what, that's why, how I've come to really enjoy it. You know, I don't, and I, don't you've got I don't, a cool I don't prep well.
2: Too, so that helps. Uh,
0: is it cool? It kind of sounds stupid yeah. to me. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you've you.
2: You've got a cool accent. Like every says I have a Michigan accent, which I don't understand. I'd like, they have accent to me. I don't have
0: that's how I feel. because I hear myself. Exactly. But Maybe I'm a novelty. Your accent's
2: cool, so it's easy to like, it flows nice.
0: Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. I feel a little bit better about myself now. <laughs> that's really have nice. you ever
2: talked to Hoodfoot? Do not ask him to do his British accent. It is awful.
0: Well, Hoodfoot is definitely on the wish list for somebody I want to speak to, and now I definitely want to hear the British accent. You can't just say that I, and have me not want to hear it.
2: so bad. It's so
0: bad. <laughs> do so you do bad. any accents? Can I can uh, I hear this? No, it accent? no I you do can't.
2: Not. No, I'm awful at them. The only I can I can do uh, Schwartzies. Well, you know, because That's I hear it good. every morning yes. when I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> at some point between nine and ten in the morning, when he's doing his stream, I yeah. hear "Well, you know." And then
0: <laughs> now you 10. could now you could probably if if he wasn't available, you could just jump in and do the whole show with no camera, and people would think it's just him.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> figure out. It it like people think that he shuts it off at home. He, no, doesn't. No, no. he doesn't. He doesn't. That's who like, he is. Maybe ten minutes out of the day, mm-hmm. there's you know a full fledged Schwartzy, and I have to deal with it. <laughs> You're
0: welcome, world. That's a lot. Well, uh, uh, pulling uh, pulling aside the the myths of podcasting, I actually did speak to Schwartzy today as well. Uh and that's a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you had what, an hour? Hour and a half at most?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: I married that.
0: Yes. Okay. That's uh well, I, yeah. I, I think uh commendations to be made. I'm sure that you're never short of a laugh though, that would be sure.
2: Oh no, no, never, ever, ever. And yeah. like um Hoodfoot, he's uh lives across the street from us now. Oh, really? So he pops in like Kramer,
0: just comes so through
2: so, <laughs> the door. Is hey guys, You got, got any chili? Like I told you, I was making chili. Yes, I got chili. Okay, can I have some?
0: No, <laughs> no. I'm starting to realize you live quite a wild life with a varied oh. a cast of characters coming in and out oh, of your yes. madhouse. Oh yeah
2: <laughs> like we, we call it, you know, it's flap house wrestling, but really it was. Flap House came from my friend Cliffy, who passed away. God rest him, Cliff Crunk. Mm-hmm. Um, like his house was always the Flap House. Like after the shows, you went to you went to Cliffy's man. Yeah. You went hung out and you drink beer and you passed out or you played beer pong or you peed out the back door or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so he was always like, "Oh, Flap House, Flap House." His first ever champion and one of the first ever Flap House championships was John Moxley mm-hmm. in Cliffy's front living room yeah, wow. after they moved the tables they moved cliffy moved the fucking couches and they wrestled each other in the living room. And he was, you know, there he was a winner. And like, so when he passed away, we we're all sitting here one day and it was just a group of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause had had so many people come and stay and live with us like for periods of time, you know, throughout wrestling, throughout their careers of trying to, to, um, get seen and get, and get known mm-hmm. beyond the road and travel. Um, we were sitting there and we we're like, man, we should do the show. And he was like, I don't know. I was like, Well, how much does it cost? And he's like, Wait, what? <laughs> Tell me how much it costs. And you do the show. And Flophouse is born 30 days later. Yeah, you know, wow. we had our first show, 30 days from that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it was all it was all based on like Cliffy letting, you know, having the boys come over and giving them that that space to to relax and, and rest after the shows before they moved on to the next the next city. And then with us, you know, like we've had people move in with us for a couple months, a couple years, three, four years at a, at a time, you know, and and move on, and, and and as they pursue their career in wrestling, and so Flap House is just kind of like when we opened up Flap House, that's what we we kind of wanted the the promotion to be too was this place where you come and you hone your craft and, and you work on your career and getting better, and then you move on. Awesome, you know, so I, like. I really, I really hope that that's you know. And Hoodfoot was one of those, and man, he went flying. Absolutely, he went flying recently. I mean, like, he's he's everywhere and like bleeding all over the place and wrestling like a motherfucker. Like, that's um, it's one of my proud, it's one of my kids. He's I'm, I'm a proud mom because of him. Yeah. I tell him all the time he ain't shit, but <laughs> I am a proud mom. Uh, Satu Jin, he was one that that came and stayed with us and traveled with us for a while. He, you know, I consider him one of my my kid. Mm-hmm. And like they're not much younger than me. Not like they're kids, you know. But like, I I like, I love them guys. Yeah. You know, like we spent so much time together, and like it was just, it's fantastic. And I love seeing them go on and do the better and the greater things and the awesome things that they're doing right now. You know. I love that
0: shit. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I've heard i I've obviously heard of Flop House, um, but I'm on the other side of the world, so I've, I've never seen it. Do you guys just run it as a local promotion, or is there somewhere online that people can catch matches, or how does that um, work? It,
2: it's on IWTV.
0: Is it really? Actually,
2: yes. Uh, just uh, look at Flophouse uh, yeah. House, Flop Wrestling, or Flop AF.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
2: It'll pop up. We have, um, I believe, 11, 11 shows, twelve shows right now. Wow on iwtv and then we have our show coming up uh, february 20th we have a show here in indianapolis at the indiana uh, indiana city brewing company oh,
0: That's so I'm exciting. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to go and watch all this new wrestling that I didn't know I had access yes. to. So that's really yes, that, that's really cool. And
2: it, our show is very party atmosphere mm-hmm. based too. Like our first show was september 11th of 2020. Mm-hmm which is pandemic city. Yeah.
1: Exactly right. <laughs> you
2: know like yeah. so we it. had um, we had masks we we were outside mm-hmm. so people could spread out as far as they wanted to. Okay. Uh, we had the masks. We served barbecue. We had rum ham. Like there was it was just this big party barbecue atmosphere, you know, and, right. and there was kegs of beer and it was fun. Mm-hmm. And like it was only supposed to be the one show supposed to be that one good time for Cliffy show, you know, yeah. and like it turned into this like, well, when's the next one? When's the next one? When's the next one, you know? So I, it it blossomed because the people behind the scenes not like us that, you know, not like us as like me and Schwartz as the promoters, but as like the people that worked there like they cared. They yeah. gave a shit, you know, like uh-huh. the wrestlers, the, sure. the referees, the people that were bringing the ring, like everybody just cared because there wasn't a lot of wrestling going on. And here's this opportunity for me to work, you know, like I want to do this. And like, it flourished because of all, everybody on our roster, everybody yeah. all the way down to, like I said, to the ring crew, all the way up to, you know, it was amazing. And like I, I, I hate it, but I love it at the same time. Like I hate show day, yeah, but I love, I love flop hop.
0: that's so awesome man that's really cool I was um, first exposed to you through Ruthless um, and I had seen the the shirts that you guys had like the flop house type things and so I'd heard of it but I really wasn't kind of familiar with the entire story so that's really interesting like hearing what it what it came out of it must must feel like a bit of an achievement now that you like you said getting towards 12 shows uh, and just doing it with your friends it must feel like something pretty special
2: it's awesome, you know, because like we we did a we did it with like even when there was we weren't allowed to have a crowd. so we had um one of the one of the guys had a ring. Mm-hmm. He volunteered his area, his home, uh, his garage area in his home mm-hmm. for us to come over and do we did private staff shows, mm-hmm. which were um no audience, just tapings, yeah. So the wrestlers were the were the audience. They were the crowd. They were the fans, you yeah. know, and like you'd wrestle your match and then you'd go and you'd put on your clothes or whatever, and you'd sit there and you'd watch the next one.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and we put those up there too. And it was just like we we just wanted to provide an outlet for all of these wrestlers that didn't have a place to work, yeah. you know, because of the pandemic and like the the fact that they everybody came together to create it. That's that's the that's the proudest. Uh, part of it for me, you know, it, it's like everybody gave a shit enough about their, their fellow brother or sister or whatever you want to call it in the business yeah. to make this work.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. At which point do you start with ruthless as well? So uh, were you already with ruthless and, and flop was happening or, or ha- what was the timeline there?
2: Um, Flophouse, Flophouse had happened uh, because Flophouse happened. It was literally the day after I, I got cleared mm-hmm. was Flophouse show.
0: Right. Okay. Straight out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I got no cleared pressure. from the neck injury no mm-hmm. and I came in and I did um, uh, like a, the run in on the scramble or the mm-hmm. battle royal or whatever the hell it was at House the next day. Like that was my introduction back in. Like uh, I wore a Mark Henry Suit all day long, the salmon with the blue pants, like the whole deal. Oh, y'all thought I was done.
1: That's so funny, you know.
2: Like, it did the whole thing, and no one caught there was one person that caught on to it, and it was Nick Glenn. Yeah,
1: he's
2: the only person, and he was just like,
0: That's so funny. I know. That's so funny. I can't believe it. Like, that. did
2: it boom, hit the big boom, win the battle royal. Yay, I'm back, you know. Yeah, and then, um. Ruthless had their show that month because they're at the end of the month, last Saturday of the month. And then it was so September, October, I believe I was working for Ruthless. Yeah. Because in September, um, like Schwartz, I, I can't remember what their their exact first show was, but Sh- Schwartz was like their first or second show. Yeah. And then I was like their third. And I did, you know, it was, man, it was, whoo, it was fun. That was a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you must feel, uh, feel a bit spoilt for choice at the moment. Like Ruthless comes across to me as a very special promotion. I've gotten to know Chris quite well. Um, and just meeting all the all the kind of people involved with it and seeing all like the hard work and stuff, it really does feel like a bit of a, you know, a team atmosphere. And then you've also got Flophouse over here. You're just surrounded by these kind of positive environments, which is I mean when we talk about what you've come up through that must be <laughs> a, a, a nice yeah. change you know and, they, and and
2: that's what really like it, it, in reality what I that's what I was fighting for yeah. the whole time All was time. just that that positive you know uh, you, you be good to me and I'll be good to you attitude Yeah you know and it was never like it, it's not that hard no. it was just it was hard at that time yeah. to, for them to, to grasp that like because it was basically like cut throat back then like if I'm nice to you, then you're gonna slit my throat or stab me in the back and take my take my spot you know types type situation. so yeah. now it's like well shit, if you get there then you'll help me get there. If I get there then I can help you get there mm-hmm. and, you know instead of like working against each other, everybody's working with each other now. yeah and it's it's quite lovely.
0: I know what a what a wow. nice and positive change. Can you take me through like? the mental barrier of coming back from an injury like that and then being physical straight away. So, you're, I mean, you're saying you were cleared like the day before the show. I haven't had any super physical injuries in my life. I did I did break my ankle quite bad at one point. Like, it put me out for like six months and I had to do a bunch of rehab. But then once I, you know, sort of relearned to walk, that's just walking. It's not really physical Combat, You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure when you're talking about a neck injury, that's probably pretty like nerve wracking a little bit. Like when I take this first bump, if something goes, is it like immediately going to hurt it again? Like, how do you psych yourself up to like put yourself in that position again?
2: Oh man, I was scared to death. Yeah. Um, My, my first match back was against thunder kitty uh, because her and I had wrestling. We were married to each other for about two years you know yeah. like and it, we just wrestle each other everywhere um so i trusted her to be able to 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 get get me through in case something bad did happen yeah. or get me through just in general
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so choose somebody I that had, you knew i yep, had yep. so much ring rust yeah okay
2: you know <laughs> and so it was like uh, maybe it had to be october it was like october 3rd cuz it was in october uh, it was for Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Mm. And it was in Violent J's backyard.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Yes. So you have all of these juggalos that, like, they love punching and kicking and blood and guts and gore and, you know, like, um, they, they just, it, they're not wrestling fans. And me and Thunder Kitty went out there and had a teardown wrestling match.
0: <laughs> a mat classic.
2: Yes, yes, because, like, I didn't trust myself to do anything else as my first one back, you yeah. know, like, so, like, we had this great wrestling match that no one gave a shit about.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah.
2: <laughs> they were on the chat boards, like, these bitches are fucking terrible. Punch her in the face. Why are you doing it? Like, it was so bad. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I was like, all right, I feel okay, you know, and, like, I, I worked with Thunder Kitty a couple more times, and then um I got booked against – um. I can't remember who it was. It was a young girl. And I was like, all right, well, if I can make it through, if I can make it through this match, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I wrestled her, and and it was a shit show. It was terrible. Oh, no. um, God, I can't remember her name either, but it was really bad. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, maybe I should wrestle a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got in there. I did a, I did a few more matches, and then... In January, I did, um, I wrestled, I got to wrestle the amazing, the wonderful, the fantastic, the legendary jazz, Mm -hmm. which was like, just, she was on my top five list and like one of the very few people left that alive or wrestling on my top five list. So I got to work with her and I spent all day with her under a learning tree, you know, and it was just one of the most fantastic days. Probably one of the most fantastic days of my entire life was, was spent with her just listening. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You know?
1: uh-huh.
2: And I don't know where I was going with that because I rambled, but yeah, she was amazing. The just the I lost where I was going.
0: Uh, I think you where you were going was you were talking about like rebuilding your confidence after the injury and you oh, were saying yeah. Not until Oh yeah. That, so
2: like, after she... once once I once I had that match with Jazz and like it went so well. And like I it was just like, man, I can do this. If I like, I just had a match with jazz and I, I hung, I was, I was there like, boom, like, I can, I think I can still do this. And then that was in January. So, um, February and then like I, I hit up Chris and I was like talking to him and stuff. And I think I did, um, what was it? A five man scramble. I did like a three a, a triple threat, and then I did like a five-man scramble for for uh, RPW, and that's when I was like, all right, you know, I can does match.
1: Yeah,
2: I went from there, you know, and that was like summertime. Um, and he asked me how I felt about Chuck Stein, and I was like, man, Chuck Stein and me are like we're related by marriage, like yeah, his right. his cousin right. married my aunt.
1: Like, yeah, okay, small world <laughs> we're,
2: we're like family, you know, yeah. like yeah, I'll, I'll I'll work with him. And like the day of the show came and Chuck Stein's like, "Um, I don't really like to get hit with skewers. Uh I said, okay, but I don't really like to get stuck with syringes. So here we go. (laughs) And he was like, all right, I'll leave my syringes back here. And I said, I won't touch the skewers. We're good. (laughs) And we went there and beat the living dog shit of each other with everything else, but syringes and skewers.
0: Fair enough. Hey, it's all about yeah. compromise.
2: Yeah, that, that night, like, that glass. Oh, man, I'll never forget. Like, in that match, I had a pane of glass. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, head, I head-butted it and headbutted butted him with it, and it did not break. Oh, no. It did. It, it painted of glass. I headbutted butted it <laughs> the second time, and it, my blood splattered on the glass the second time. It did not break. And I literally, I looked at the glass, and I looked at him and said, I'm sorry. And I (laughs) nailed him with it. (laughs) (laughs) It exploded that time. But it was just like, I literally like pulled a Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair on. I was like, I'm sorry. I love
0: you. And like nailed (laughs) him with with it. (laughs) 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 Oh man.
2: What's family for? If they can't break a pane of glass over your head. Dude.
0: See deathmatch is so crazy. Like so many people will have like, I guess preconceived notions of it. And they see the surface level and, they see the blood and 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 they they write stuff off. And what what I've seen in deathmatch is, I don't know, a bunch of really really passionate people that you know they wouldn't be doing this stuff if they didn't love it. And the community that lies behind it and how much everybody cares for each other is second to none, man. Like I I've fallen in love with it for that reason, just because it's it's such a special art form, you know, and you hear that stuff, you know, you're doing horrible things to each other, but it's like, sorry. And then you laugh about it later or or whatever it is, as you guys agree to hurt each other and have a great time. And it, it's all crazy, but it's all amazing. It, it,
2: the, the, so for me, even like death matching is like, it's like therapy, man. Like you can go out there and like, put all your energy and your emotions out into a match and your friends there and like mm-hmm. they can give you all of their energy and their emotions that they've been trying to get out and like like I told told my therapist and like you know it's stress relieving. Yeah. It's so stress relieving. She's like, "Yeah, but you're getting hit back." And I'm like, "Yeah, but like in real life, like in my normal everyday life, if life smacks me in my fucking face, there's nothing to hit back."
1: Yes, yes.
2: But it it in, in a death match someone smacks me in my face you better believe i'm gonna give you two back yeah like and, and it, it's so relieving and like it, there's times where like i've i've cried at the end of matches yeah. at the end of death matches because it's just so um uh, lethargic like it just oh yeah like relieving you know mm-hmm. and i think that a lot of people um it, it, just in wrestling in general have um a lot of, uh, mental issues, not necessarily like, you know, but we all have some kind of depression or anxiety or, or, you know, there's something there and and it's not everybody, but there's a lot of us in just in general that like, we don't have that outlet in our day-to-day lives to be able to release Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that, that feelings that we have. And I think wrestling and and in deathmatch wrestling that helps us to kind of release that that anger and that sadness and that that, you know the anxiety and everything that builds up in your everyday life Mm -hmm. it gives you that outlet to just release it and move on and go on to your next you know your next show
0: yeah now that's it that's amazing man uh it's and when you combine all that kind of emotional release i guess with like the physical release and the adrenaline of danger and the endorphins of exercise and all that together. It's no wonder that, that like a lot of people are like after they do it like, Oh, this is for me like straight out.
2: Yeah. And it, it it's very much like a drug. Mm-hmm. Like it, it completely is even just, you know, regular pro wrestling. Uh, uh, it, it, you get that adrenaline from the, from the crowd and, and like you, you feel that, that everything, like if you, if you can find one person in the crowd that connects with you, mm-hmm. you can get the rest of the crowd.
1: Yeah.
2: And, you know, a little trade secret. Mm-hmm. Find one and they will bring the masses to you. Yeah. But the like if you can connect and have that emotion with them, you get that crowd behind you or you get that crowd booing you and you feel all of that energy and it it's such it's such a high. Yeah. It's such a high. And like you you want to keep getting that, you know. So like it, the people that get it, um, they try to strive, they strive to be better, Yeah, you know, like everybody tries to get better so that they can keep getting that high, mm-hmm. so they're basically chasing the dragon that is wrestling, <laughs>
0: yeah. you know. Forever, it's why, why I think so many wrestlers hang on for so long, or even once they're finished in ring, they're still around the business, you know, it's like uh, mm-hmm. yeah, an uh, addictive sort of form of entertainment, <laughs> I guess.
2: I literally, I went to when I found out about my neck injury. I went to Truth because he had went through a neck injury as well, mm-hmm. and I said, "What the fuck do I do with my life? Like, yeah. I've been doing this 18 years. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how to be sober. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. what do I do?" And he's like, "You just find a different avenue to still be in."
1: Yeah.
2: You know, so I went to I did the managing for a while where I was wearing a suit and doing the whole 1980s suit with the I Sonny Ono and people with a shoe and like, it was a whole <laughs> to do, you know, but I still, I found a way to stay in the business because I needed that high. I still needed that, that fix from wrestling, you know, yeah. even though I couldn't do it anymore.
0: Uh-huh. Well, you well and truly can do it now and you're doing some amazing things with I'm sure with all the growth in deathmatch wrestling and the growth in independent wrestling and the rise of IWTV, we're only just seeing the start of where it's going to go, you know, Uh, what do you think is next for Randy West? Have you got much on the the cards coming up? Are you excited for what's, what's coming up?
2: Yeah. I mean, I like, it it can only go up from here. I mean, it's like the minute uh, there was a death match on TV, the minute there was, it was just like, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. That's what we, you know, what everybody's been waiting for. So now that it, it's getting so much mainstream, like I can't wait. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, I didn't, I did a couple, um, a couple showings at, at no peace underground. I did the gauntlet of death three. Um, I just did their show in, uh, uh, that they did in North Carolina, um, just recently. And like, I'm really looking forward to working with them this coming year. Um, uh, I'm, I'm literally in talks with them and then, uh, Danny D'Amato, currently in talks with him too. Oh. <clears throat> Eventually, one day, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> be amazing to
0: see you in the chains of the pit.
2: You'll see me in the
0: And that's it. Thank you so much for your time, Randy. It was so appreciated. I appreciate you being so candid. Uh, and honest, and it was a really fun conversation. Everybody, make sure you check out Randy West online. You can follow her on Twitter at RanWestWrestling, R A N W E S T W R E S T L I N, or Instagram at randywest.rw. So check them out, check out Flophouse, check her out at RPW, that's Ruthless Pro Wrestling. Uh, And she is going to be showing up down the line at ICW No Holds Barred. All right. So with that in the can and everything sorted, let me tell you about this fucking thing that I call a setup and how everything went wrong. About how my life got flipped straight upside down by my Rodecaster Pro unit, its SD card, and then everything else in the entire chain. So... When I decided I was going to start a podcast, I knew I needed to make it as easy for myself as possible. Because of who I am as a person, I don't really like to learn new stuff. I'm kind of getting on a bit in years, and I'm like, if I need to learn all these individual little pieces and bits and pieces and buy multiple pieces of equipment, I'm just I'm just not going to do it, man. Like, that's just who I am. So when... Rode released the Rodecaster Pro, I was like, well, this is me. This is everything in, all, in one big unit that will connect to my uh, computer at the time for the podcast. I was just using my Surface tablet, which is nothing crazy. Um, just plug into that, record straight onto an SD card, bang, 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 you're good to go. You've got multiple channels there for voice. You've got a USB channel uh, that you know can, you can run into your computer to play sounds off YouTube or Facebook interviews or Zoom or Skype or whatever you want. Uh, You can Bluetooth your phone to it. You have uh, pads that you can preload your start music into or sound effects or whatever you want to do, and then it's all there. It also has the ability to not just record onto the SD card, but also bang, straight into the computer, and you could record onto a software program. Well, I didn't used to do that because... Again, I didn't really want to learn, like, a full software program. It, Like, when people talk about doors, which are, you know, digital recording interfaces, when you hear people talk about programs like Audacity and Pro Tools and, um, you know, Cubase, things like this, uh, I didn't really want to learn a program like that. It seemed really hard. It seemed really intimidating. I had recorded albums with my band many times, I was the one playing, not the one recording, but I saw a guy clicking around on this, what looked like an intense program with lots of different lines, uh, lots of different numbers, dials, and it looks very intimidating. In fact, I'm looking at one right now because I have sort of since learned how to use it. But to start with, I was like, I don't want to learn any of that, man. I just want it to be as easy as possible. I just want to talk into the machine, I want it finished drop it over onto my computer, use one of those programs in the barest possible way because I'm afraid of it, cut the ends, convert it to MP3, like make sure it's loud enough, convert it to MP3 and then put it online as a podcast. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't have any goals of doing interviews or anything like that. I just wanted to speak and and be done with it. And that helped me get better at it because over time I would then start clicking around in the program. And I kind of knew I would do that too. I knew eventually I would, you know, mess with things and just learn stuff as I go. I don't know about you, but I'm not really great at being told stuff. If somebody's just lecturing me with a whole bunch of instructions or I'm at school or something, and even if it's something I really want to do and I'm like super like, I need to hear what this person's saying because I want to do it. Like, it's almost like I can fucking hear music. It's like I'm Homer Simpson, you know what I mean? I've probably got some kind of undiagnosed ADD or something. But the only way I personally can learn how to do stuff is to just get in there and do it myself. So that's what I was going to do. I had the easiest thing in the world. It does it all for me. And I'm just going to start recording. And if you go all the way back to episode one, uh, there's an episode called Where to Start with New Japan. and It's me just talking about New Japan wrestling because I like it. And that was it. And that's what the podcast was going to be, me just talking about stuff I liked. And and then on it goes from there. Uh, I would then go on to, you know, plug a second mic in and my friend Travis would come in. You, you'll still see him pop up every now and then when we talk AEW and things like that. That's more his sort of speed. Um, but we like to do that together, you know, sit down, have a beer, kind of talk about that kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah, and it wasn't until I was given the opportunity to uh, – speak to Joel Bateman uh, from Deathmatch Down Under that I then was, I did an interview and then that informed the next interview and I met Neil Diamond Carter and then Casanova Valentine and and on it went. That was at episode 34, I think it was, and then now this is episode 99, we're speaking of, of then doing interviews. When you do interviews with people, you're borrowing their time. I... I'm a firm believer in that the only thing we have in this world that's worth anything is time. Like I can get more money. I can lose it. I can buy another meal. I can, you know, my car just broke down. I can ride to work like that. Like everything's fine, but I don't get minutes back. And that comes from spending large periods of my time, like in my life, maybe wasting it, you know, like, I, I ran a business for many years, for like seven, eight years. And at the end of it, we had nothing, you know, we weren't, we weren't backwards, but it didn't turn into what I hoped it would be. And I gave a lot of time to that business from my personal time and from my spare time that I'll never get back. You know, I I made a joke to somebody the other day, but it's not really a joke in that my phone hasn't been off silent since I finished that business. And that's not incorrect because I used to take bookings for that business. It used to call me all the time. There'd be texts constantly, you know, every spare moment there'd be stuff going on. I would go after my full time job, I would go there and I would do that. So I I was aware that I am, you know, using people's time. And that's something that I take very seriously. Where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that so I'm recording people. Uh, I'm, I use a Skype or a Facebook video chat, whatever it may be, to speak to a person, and then I use their time to create content, you know, for the listener and for them to hopefully promote them and you know be a part of the wrestling community. Well, when I, I, I say all this because when you lose an interview or something goes wrong, that's just unacceptable to me. You know what I mean? It's only happened a couple of times. Um, and to me, it's the most horrifying thing in the world. The people that have been on the other side of that have been very gracious and very understanding with their time. But to me, that's not fucking okay. You know, it's it's just not. And and it really upsets me. And it it made me need to look at other options. And so what particularly happened... Um the well, running down I, I guess the history of things that went wrong. Uh first time it stuffed up was very early into my interviews. I interviewed uh the Snuff King Gore from Deathmatch Down Under, and our first chat didn't record. I still don't really know what happened with that. But it wasn't there, something didn't work, and and it didn't happen. Uh Gore's an absolute legend. He was chilling out anyway. We said, we'll do this tomorrow. And and he was like, Yeah, absolutely. Whatever, bro. It'd be even better for me then. And so we just did that, and that was fine. Then uh my good friend, one of my best friends, Corey from Deathmatch Worldwide, and I were recording what was going to be the third episode of Faces of Deathmatch. A f- a fun little side thing that we just did to hang out and just to talk about old retro deathmatches. Well, we did that, we recorded the entire thing onto the SD card. I would regularly check the SD card because the roadcaster will give you uh, an estimate of how much time is left. You know, you've got 127 hours of recording time. Well, mine said it had 13 hours left. We recorded for, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. And when we finished, I just went in, as soon as I hit stop on it, I then flick over to the podcast page, and I hit playback, and I make sure the time's there just to know it records for peace of mind, you know? And that day, it wasn't there. It was just gone. And telling Corey that absolutely sucked because I'd use his time. He's one of the busiest people that I know. And though he's my friend and didn't care, and it's just a thing we do to hang out, and we had heaps of fun just hanging out doing it, it it really upset me because I was like, this is not okay. Uh, I've wasted my friend's time, but more to the Point like if I was doing like an interview with somebody I don't know, then I have used their time, and there's just nothing, you know, and that absolutely sucks. So at first I'm thinking, okay, um, it's obviously that little counter that shows me how long I've got left on my SD card is just wrong, you know, it's not an accurate kind of read on it. So I format it and erase it all the way back to empty. And then I move on with my life. Uh, I'm going to be appearing on my friend Curtis's podcast, the Smart Foundation. And it was their first time doing like a multi-recording kind of thing. And we had already recorded before. And I went, I can just be the recording dude if you want, man. And he goes, oh yeah, sure. And I had done a few test records. Everything was working again. And I thought everything was going to be fine to just record. I was like, oh, it was just too full. Anyway... Uh, I record their whole show and I go, cool, that's all finished. I'll um, convert the file over and I'll just send it to you, You know, put it on a a Dropbox or whatever. I do that for him. Um, But then he messages me and he's like, hey, it's not the whole file. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not the whole file? And he's like, oh, it gets halfway and then it just like makes static and becomes nothing. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so I play it back and it's cooked and I'm like, oh no. And so that led to me being really worried because at that point, now here's another two friends whose time I'm suddenly wasting, my personal fucking phobia. Uh, and I recorded a whole episode for them that I then couldn't give them, which I felt terrible about um, because that's what we were doing. Anyway, I I was like, oh, maybe maybe it's the computer as well. I'd been putting off doing an update on the Surface tablet. So I do the update on that. I give the roadcaster a full reset and then I convert it over. That's all great. It works perfect. I've got the full file. I send it to Curtis. Uh, They're fine. They release the episode. Everything's happy. What's not happy is that when I then go to reopen Studio One, which was my recording software at the time. It was the original one I was given by a friend way back in the day. Uh, we work at music stores. He had a free copy, you know, a promo copy that he gave to me and he just set it all up for me because I knew nothing about anything. Um, that had logged out and I was like, logged out. I didn't even know it had to log in. You know what I mean? You just open it. It's just on your computer. I am not a tech savvy dude. Um, and I messaged him. We don't, didn't work together anymore, but we're still friends. And I messaged him and I was like, bro, this thing logged me out. Do you remember what the password was? And he's like, no, man. And he goes, and I set that up on my work email, which no longer exists because he no longer works for our company. And I was like, fuck, this thing's gone. And I'm like, all right, I need to like make some moves now. So I'm getting a new SIM card because this one is obviously corrupt and has done its dash. And now since Studio One is dead, I need to find a new editing program. I'll find one that can multi-track and do both. I will record onto the SD card and then multi-track into the computer. Uh, My wife has an Adobe Suite membership because, uh, you know, for the artwork that she does for the podcast and she likes to draw and do, do that stuff. And that had Adobe Audition. One of the programs that will work with the Roadcaster to do the multi-track. That said, the tutorial documents are absolutely fucked uh, when it comes to doing the tr- kind of thing that I was trying to achieve. I had to use sort of two two different halves of uh, their documents to make it work because the thing that wasn't happening for me was the the playback situation. So this is morning of, I'm running out of time at this stage. Like, uh, I really need to make something work. I'm going to be speaking to Schwartzy and Randy West on the same day, but my week has been so full on. There's been so much coming on. I'm really not going to be installing all of this until like the afternoon, like evening of, um, you know, speaking to them. And so I'm getting it all installed, and everything's working, well it seems to be, except for when I log onto, uh, the f- like Facebook chat or or Skype or Zoom. I'm trying to trying to make it work, but people can't hear me. And I find this because uh, I've got nobody around I can speak to, and I message my man the struggles. Uh, who has been a podcast, you know, mentor to me since I first started. And I went, hey, bro, you free? I just want to do a test call and just make sure this system is all working. Yeah, absolutely. And there he pops up on the screen in front of me. He's like, what's up, man? And he's like, oh, I can't hear you. That ain't good. And I'm like, no, it is not. So we tried a few different things. Then we got it working on Zoom, but not on anything else. And so I'm like, look, I've just got to fucking run with Zoom, you know. I'm going to do that. I'll get Schwartzy up and we'll just go. And so uh, for the Schwartzie interview, everything works. It records onto uh, the door. It records onto the SD card. Everything seems cool. Now, before I speak to Randy, I want to double check everything and make sure it all you know, recorded and stuff, and I I just want to be safe because I haven't had a chance to really test anything. So I say to her, hey, can we hold off? I just want to kind of get this all up and going and running. I log out of our, you know, chat window, whatever. I go through and I double-check it. It looks all good. I set everything up the way it should be and go to um, record with her but then the recording on the SD card will not work whenever I hit the big green record button uh, on the desk. It's just giving me some kind of error, and I'm like, for fuck's sake, man i can't be I can't be doing this. You know what I mean? Like I can't waste any more of this person's valuable time, so I'm just going to need to have to run with the door with the computer program. So I've got it on the surface I'm like, "Hey." This thing's messing around, but let's just go. It's going to be fine. I've already recorded with it once. We're going to be cool. Well, that's what I thought anyway. And it was going quite well, except for when we get to that end part of the interview that you heard when it cuts off. Because what cut off then was not the door itself. It wasn't a problem with the program. What the problem was is that I was still using my Surface tablet. Now, a Surface tablet is just like an iPad, uh, an Android iPad, but it doesn't have like bands in the back of it or, you know, cooling vents or anything like that. So running, you know, multiple channels recording at the time I was doing it as a full multi-track. So you've got, uh, it's recording channels for my vocal, uh, Randy's vocal, the music and effects when I play it, etc, etc. And it's doing all of that. And the tablet is just getting hotter and hotter. So I don't know that. We've spoken for about 50 minutes. I'm looking at her, she's telling me what she's going to be doing, like what's coming up next, what her next shows are, and the entire tablet just turns off, screen gone, dead, cold dead. And I and I touch the tablet and it's like, it almost burns me. It's so hot. So I'm like, oh my God, I fried everything. I've lost everything. This is a nightmare. I unplug the tablet. And I just go out and lay it on our kitchen bench. We've got a stone kitchen bench, air cons on. I just lay it out to keep it cold. I send Randy a message. Hey, I'm so sorry. I've ha- had the, I had already been very transparent that it was all a new setup. And I'm like, these technical issues have continued. Um, I don't think I've lost everything. I'll let you know what's going on. She is an amazing person. And was like, if we need to re- record, it's not a big deal. Love speaking to you. Thanks so much for your time thank you so much. So I get the tablet working again. I let it cool all the way down. I get it working again. Uh, I load up the Adobe Audition program and it goes, your last session uh, closed unexpectedly. Would you like to reopen it? And I'm like, I sure would Adobe Audition, you magnificent fuck. Let's get it going. Open it up. And it's blank as you've ever seen. It's just not there. And my heart, man, just sunk. I was like, oh my God, I've lost this thing. And I'm then I'm Googling, right? Adobe Audition, lost session, backup files, question mark, you know, stuff like that. And it says that Adobe does backup every single thing you record. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. I find the file, I open it up, and there's, I don't know, hundreds of files because at the time I've got it set up to when I'm recording, it's multi-tracking. So it's recording every single track that the roadcaster does. So that is four mics, USB, uh, 3.5 mil phone jack, Bluetooth, and pads, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight channels over and over, as well as a stereo channel. So nine. But then that's also for any tests I've done, my stuff with Schwartzy, uh and the, and then Randy stuff so there's just a million different things and all they say is what the channel is not what interview it was from anything like that so i just start going through them one by one i then would later go on to realize that i could you know right click and go oh show me time and size of file and all that and then i can denote it down i can do that now but at the time i'm i'm furious right and i'm panicking I find it, I click on it, I hear the intro and stuff and I hear me me speaking, I'm like, okay, this is good and then it goes to Randy and it's like, there's nothing there and then I realise, okay, wait, that's mic one, that's mic two, okay, I've got everything here if I need to piece this back together piece by piece and rebuild the interview, then I find the stereo mix channel and I'm like, oh, wait, it still does the stereo record, it still records everything, which is my favourite way to do it. I had sort of grand goals of like recording everything individually and then if like say I cough over something uh, guests are saying I could just snip out my little bit of audio. I don't do that anymore. I found that for what I do it's really not necessary and it was just causing way too much labor on everything that was recording and it was leading to mistakes by the computer system. So now I just record everything stereo into the one track and it does it onto the SD and onto this. So anyway, I found the file. I rescued it. I let Randy know and I was like, look, cuts off with this little bit. I'll just do an outro and we'll be fine. To her credit, she was like, if you want to catch up for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever and do an outro and stuff, we can. But I really didn't want – I felt like I wasted enough of her time. Um, but, yeah, so I'm like, I need to look at a way to never have that happen again. It's not acceptable at this stage. So – I then look at the door thing again, recording onto the computer. I know that the Roadcaster has the ability to dual track, so record onto his SD card and then also into the computer and record onto the door. So before the next interview I was going to do, which was like one week later, I was like, I cannot use the Surface. I don't trust the SD card. I now need a new computer and I'm speaking to my wife, she manages a high-tech store, she's like, maybe you should just like, I'm like, I think I've got to get a new MacBook Pro or something. She was like, you can probably just get a Tower PC, you know. I've got this monitor, she had brought home a monitor uh, because she was working for home and and doing that stuff. She likes to have two screens. She's like, you can use that and then we'll just get you a Tower. And then as we're, we're talking about this one time, James, my... My best mate, like, hears me. He's like, oh, I was going to throw mine out. Do you want it? It's like totally good, but I just got a new one because he's a successful doctor or some shit. I don't know what he does. Uh, So, (laughs) sorry, James. I still don't really know what you do. Um, And so he gave me a computer. So my wife gives me a monitor. James gives me a computer, but then I need to set it up to work properly. And that's where, like, there's two different tutorials and to make it work. Because at the moment, I essentially can record my voice like I'm doing right now, But then if I want to play it back, I need to go into uh, edit in Adobe Audition, click down at preferences, then click on audio hardware, and then change to like a different driver. And the only way I figured that out was basically by looking at the full Adobe Audition tutorial on Rhodes thing and then looking at the Audacity tutorial and sort of combining them together and hodgepodging them, I guess, there is probably an easier way to do it. There's probably something better. I'm just not good enough at it. It's working at the moment. I think the limitation really just lies in like the unit and also PC being annoying and, and stuff like that. I feel like if I had a Mac, it would probably just work, but I don't. So anyway, now I double record everything. I record onto the SD card, but I also record straight into the computer where I then edit everything uh, and drop it out. It's a whole new program. I'm getting my head around it. I hope the episodes haven't sounded too different. I hope everybody's really happy with it. To be honest, if you're ever thinking about starting a podcast, I would really recommend the Rodecaster Desk. It does 90% of the work for me. Uh, from my first episode, people were like, this is great sound quality. And that's because it runs through that desk. It's got so many, you know, nice processors in it and compressors and, and things like that. De-esser. De-esser. Uh, <laughs> things like that that are really cool. So, yeah. I didn't mean this to turn into a, a Roadcaster Pro tutorial. But if anybody is wanting to start a podcast, please uh, let me know because I know this fucking thing inside out now. But, yeah. Anyway, I thought that'd be a funny story uh, to share with everybody about when every single thing in your setup goes wrong. And also, just to really, you know, shine a light on and say thank you to Randy and really any guest I've ever had uh, who shown me patience and, you know, an understanding and given me their time because it's not lost on me. It will never be lost on me because time's all we've got. So, uh, I guess I do the sign off, guys. Thank you so much for your time, for the Roadcaster Pro unit, I guess, uh, and for Faces and Feels. Remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram, at FacesFeelsCast, Twitter, at FacesFeelsCast, and Facebook, at FacesFeelsCast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body is a roadmap of pain. Oh, I- Deathmatchworldwide.com. The official online merchandise store that
2: is only for deathmatch wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zelda 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G-Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher and many more. If you are a Deathmatch wrestler, promotion, manager, or platform, and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com, for the violent view. Finals and violence.
0: A brand celebrating a love of music and deathmatch wrestling. Follow on Instagram at vinyls and violence. Follow on Twitter at Legalize Ranch, and that's Ranch with two H's. And buy the shirts from DeathmatchWorldwide.com. Vinyls and Violence. I'm pretty sure it's like some weirdo shit like Pokemon or something. Also star.